note to self, if an irradiated man who happens to be like the third copy that you've run into ever tells you, don't go in there, don't go in there. The Redacted Files is an actual play podcast. Ooh, and an actual 20. Is anyone just a little discomforted by the fact that she gets so excited with a natural 20? With tales of horror and suspense. And he wishes you a good afternoon. I go home to the nightmares I will inevitably have. Told one bad die roll at a time. That's your attack? Yes. <laughs> Stop laughing at us. Visit us at theredactedfiles.com where you can give us a listen or join us in telling the next story. You can investigate or you can go down the stairs. I think we'll go. <laughs> Do you guys think we'll go? I, th- I think we'll go. Hello and welcome to Show and Tell, the podcast series from the RPG Academy where we bring on a guest and we talk about something cool. Today, something cool is the Kickstarter from Zodiac Empires, which is a campaign setting that they are developing for both Pathfinder and the D&D 5th edition rule set. And our guest to talk about this is the brains behind the operation himself, Brad. Brad, say hello. Hello. Thank you so much for joining us. I am Michael, as everyone knows, and I have brought along my favorite co-host and yours, the Caleb G. Caleb, say hi to everybody. Hey, everybody. Glad to be here. So this, I believe, is show and tell episode 12. I'm not good with numbers. Uh, but again, we're here. track of all this. <laughs> uh, oh, wait, that's me? Oh, yeah, that's your God. job. All right, we're screwed. But we're here to talk about Zodiac Empires again. So uh, that is basically the name of the company that is putting together the current Kickstarter. So it's it, if you're listening to this and it's fairly recent, uh, middle of August 2015, the Kickstarter is still active. So please definitely go check it out. If you want to be looking at the page while we're talking, that might be even better. Uh, but Brad, so just we'll start big picture. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Kind of give us your bona fides, uh, your gaming history, where you started, what kind of games you play now. And then we'll kind of move into what made you decide to make your own campaign setting. All right. Well, I would say that my first introduction to Dungeons & Dragons was my father bought me Warriors of the Eternal Sun for Sega Genesis. And I played that countless times and then eventually um actually i didn't get my first introduction to the actual tabletop until third edition when i was 14 and have been playing it ever since why why we really i don't know i guess zodiac empire has kind of evolved from we played in a lot of other campaign settings and it's fun and stuff but the big problem you run into is things change and there's nothing you can do about that and that's not really okay to me. For instance, a very beloved campaign setting of mine when 4th edition dropped was completely revamped, redone, and in my opinion, destroyed. Many of the main characters were killed, many of my favorite deities were removed just to fit the new rule system that was coming out. And that that's not really okay to a lot of people, and that's the general consensus we got from a lot of other people. And then the one that was popular at the end of 3.5 uh, we played a lot, but it didn't really feel fleshed out enough, and it didn't feel like it was going anywhere, I guess. A lot of the novels that were placed in that series were placed in the past, and they didn't affect anything going forward. 
but some of them contradicted current information and you run into the problem of nobody really knows where they're at at certain periods of time. It's It just got to be a hassle. So Dominican Empires first began just as a group of my friends just got together and said, hey, let's you know make one of our own. We'll just see where it goes. And that went on for about four years and it went through many, many renditions. It didn't have a name. The continent's name changed dozens of times, but the maps say the same and Kingdoms are added and removed, and NPCs change. And then finally, after I moved to Ohio, I ran the. I ran after getting another group together. I ran it again, and they were like, "You, a lot of work's been put into this. Why haven't you, you know, showed this to anybody else?" I'm like, "It's not really something that I wanted to make. It's not something I wanted everybody to have their hands in at the beginning. We wanted to like flesh out and standardize how the world was, and then move forward from there. And then so we played for a few more years here, and then. One of us, essentially one of my players at the time, said if if we don't do something with this, they're going to be sorely disappointed with us. So we we sat down, got a core team together, me, Frank, and Rachel, and then essentially nailed down pretty much the intricacies of the setting. And then once we figured out, like, the tone and the feel and how we wanted the world to be portrayed, it just went from there. And then we're here we are. (laughs) Okay. Okay. So we've said on our show many, many times that – Pretty much if you play role-playing games long enough, particularly as the DM, that you become an amateur game designer. You know, you start messing with rules, you add new races, you add new magic items. And for me particularly, I I very rarely run a game that's in an established setting. And there's various reasons why I do that, mostly because I'm lazy and I don't know the established settings well enough that my players are going to know more than me and I can't have that. So I just like to make stuff up. I have said before, too, that the Eberron is my favorite setting. If I'm going to run one, that's probably what I'm going to run it in. So I'm sure there's a lot of people that have that have done this. They've, they've Their table, their house, they've put together a campaign setting. But you've sort of done this to the nth degree because you now have all this information. Looking at your Kickstarter, you've got maps, you've got uh, factions, you, know, you, you have histories written for hundreds of years. Was that already written down that you had, like, you know, copious notes somewhere, or was it the process of, hey, let's turn this into an actual thing that you then had to write it? I would say it's a little bit of both, but more the first. Essentially, what we did early on is when we played it, we'd pick, you know, one kingdom, let's play some people from there, figure out what's going on, and then as the campaign evolved, I had to make up the history, and then when we got to the point where the campaign was over and the history went forward, we you know, flushed it out a little bit more. And the more and more and more we played in the setting, the more and more flushed out it got. We didn't really sit down and go, all right, let's write this, we'll do this, and then we'll write this. It's more like, okay, so we have the history for this nation and this nation. They're on the opposite sides of the continent, but we want them to have a history together. Let's figure out how to make, how to stitch all the pieces that we've created together into one big thing. So it seems like from what you're saying here, Brad, that... uh a lot of Zodiac empires evolved right at the game table. Yes, absolutely. There's no, there's no doubt about that, that most of it came from the game table, from player interaction, from them throwing me ideas, or from me just needing information and making it up as I went. That's very cool, because uh, I think what our listeners can take away from hearing that is that Zodiac empires is not just a story that one guy or a team of people wrote off 
in an office building somewhere, and then they threw some rules and some artwork into it. Zodiac Empires started at the game table. It works best at the game table, and it really is a a living, thriving environment that players and GMs can dive into and really experience something that can come alive for them. Absolutely. I think... I think the biggest problem that most campaign settings have is that, you know, let's be honest here, the companies don't care what we do with them. They just care that we buy them and play in them and then buy more stuff. And that's great, and they have all these novels and everything, but you just feel disconnected after a period of time where, like, you have all these cool stories and you have all these characters and all these factions and the organizations you've built and the Thieves Guild you made in that one city and all the history that you made with your gaming groups and none of it matters to anybody but you, but you want to tell somebody. It's the reason why we do this. We all have a story to tell and there's no reason why we can't share that as like one group. So why don't we talk a little about Zodiac empires itself? I'm looking at the information here on your website and on the Kickstarter, the links to both of which will be, uh, in the show notes for this show, so everybody can go check those out. The world itself seems pretty interesting. I see some pretty classic tropes, but I see some unique twists on them. So why don't you give us a little bit of a sense of the flavor and uh, catch some people's interest? I mean, there's a lot to say about it. That's going to be my biggest problem, but I really feel like, essentially when we designed it, when we sat down and made stuff up and we were like, no, we don't want any of this or no. Yeah. We like that. There, you, you do have to keep some tropes alive in the setting because that's what just people are used to. If you're going to play in a D and D setting, your dwarves and elves and you know, all the standard races have to exist in a manner or another. And if they're not, some people are going to feel left out, but at the same time, you don't want to fall into the pit that forgotten realms did where you have 18 sub races of elf and none of them really matter. So, what we tried to do was build a, a world that would exist as its history would denote. I think one of the biggest things I took away from Gen Con a few years ago is causality, causality, causality. Something, it has to make sense. If it doesn't make sense, nobody's going to want to care for longer than, you know, a glancing read. The world itself was built, it was built with the sense of nostalgia from myself and people that I've known. And you see it a lot in TV, um, Mad Men, there's a Boardwalk Empire, there's a whole bunch of stuff that's set in the early 1900s, and it's kind of what we wanted to go for, while keeping the same fantasy style that a lot of us are used to, the demons, the dragons, the swords, the sorcery, all that kind of stuff. And melding them together into something was, I'm, I'm going to admit it was difficult at first, but once we got a little bit of inspiration and sat down and figured out a little quirks, we fit it together kind of well so the world's going to feel familiar to you and it's supposed to because you're supposed to be able to relate to at least some parts of it and then be able to build from there so you don't have to come in so much and learn everything from the ground up it's more of okay so i understand how this works because it existed at one point in our timeline now i can build off of that so basically you guys are taking everything we are pretty much used to in the sword and sorcery high fantasy setting, but putting your own story, your own twist, your own reasons of why things exist and have happened. And that's what makes 
Zodiac empires unique and interesting. Yes, it's something you can both relate to and understand while still having a large amount of fun in. Cool. Um, Looking at some of the facts and little bits of interesting information on the website and over on Kickstarter, I see that there was definitely a pretty big war in the past that played, or I should say should that had a lot of impact on the world. And uh, there's a bunch of airships in here too, which are always fun to play around with. Yes, actually the, uh, the inspiration for that came from our own timelines history of, you know, world war one and world war two and all the wars that came before that. And it's something we can, you know, kind of remember and play with, but at the same time, we, we wanted to keep that magic, that, that fantasy setting that, you know, a lot of us love. So using a little bit of um, creation in a new type of resource and a kind of a new technology, we brought in, you know, airships and things that we're used to, lights, that kind of thing. When I was reading over these the setting information, as I mentioned earlier, Eberron's my favorite setting. I definitely got sort of an Eberron vibe, which is a plus in my book, uh, hopefully in yours as well. But with the airships, uh, also, uh, I believe it's the Starfall or Starfeld. I'm, I'm probably screwed that up. But uh, it's the ones that have sort of the Zodiac sort of uh, almost like a tattoo. I kind of equated that to like the Draconic tattoos from Eberron. Do you have any inspiration from that or any connection, or is that just me reading into it? I mean, we played Eberron shortly, and I guess Eberron was actually one of the things that made us think that, you know, it's possible to make a setting that people will play. But again, it was one of those things that once 4th edition came along, even the creator himself says, no, I still use the 3.5 novels because things changed that I didn't enjoy. The Star Called were actually... I got the, I, we got the idea for Star Called because from the from the beginning of the campaign settings, you know, history, the Zodiacs created fate and they created destiny, and you as a living human being have to abide by that. You don't realize that you're part of the grand scheme and a weave of all time, but you are, and that's just how history played out. And then when we were delving into our history a little bit, we knew that we wanted some movers and shakers in there that weren't deities and weren't like uber powerful demons or whatever to really change the shape of the world kind of, because I think a lot of the problems that most campaign settings fall into is they go, okay, so our technology level is here and it will never progress any farther. And that's a big complaint you hear from a lot of groups is, well, I want guns in Forgotten Realms. Well, they exist, but only in this tiny little country all the way on the other side. And you can have them if you want to. And that's great. But at the same time, a world wouldn't really evolve like that. That's not how it works. So our Star Calls kind of came in as a answer to how do we make big changes without big entities? So we bring in the Star Called, which you would... I guess equate to dragon-marked individuals, but not really. It's not hereditary. It's not something that, you know, you can really control. It kind of just happens. That's, like, the big thing of them. So if you've ever played Dishonored, it's a lot like Corvo at the beginning of that, where the outsider gives him his mark, and then Corvo gets all these cool abilities. Well, it's essentially the same thing, only Starcall don't know why they get them. The Zodiacs don't tell you you're going to get them the... Your father doesn't tell you, hey, I have one, so you're going to have one too. It's more of like a, hey, I'm an important person now, 
but I don't know what I'm capable of. All right. So as a, as a player in the setting, does that assume that everyone who is a player character is one of these, or are there still people that will play a human that's bound by their, by the prophecy or by the, the, the weave. And then everything that happens is just, well, that's what was going to happen anyways. Like how does that shake out when you want to play in that set in that setting? That was actually one of the biggest things that we uh, had a problem with is I was on the fence of all player characters are star called and that's just how it's going to be. And we can build rule systems based on something that everybody has. And the rest of the dev team disagreed with me and that's, that's fine. That's how these things evolve. So we decided that no, not every player character is star called. There's a lot of important individuals in our history that aren't star called, but Essentially how it works is this. So fate is a is a predestined path from point A to point B. A star called can come into your timeline at any point in time, and it might just say something innocuous to you that you don't really think is that important, but can change your fate, your line changes, which is essentially how they interact with everybody else. So what we considered it would be like a star called touched or introduced... We haven't really locked down the name of that yet because it's hard. So there's two paths. You can either take a star called path, which you get a sigil and you get sweet abilities and things happen, or you get the like star called touched, where you know somebody who's star called or somebody who is star called has interacted with you in some time in your past. It could have been somebody you don't, you might not even have known, but it could put you on your path to greater glory and destiny and adventuring and all that cool stuff. The hardest part was balancing these two aspects together against each other, and I feel we came to a happy medium. That, that's like, isn't that the uh, the rule of a good compromise? Is that neither side is perfectly happy? Yes, pretty much. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So why don't we talk a little bit about what the campaign setting is going to deliver when people swing over to the kickstarter page so we know that the campaign will exist in both pathfinder and fifth edition dungeons and dragons rules go you have a nice little bullet point here uh, bullet point list here uh, about what people are going to get you've got some unique races in there you touched on all the different nations and countries the maps for all of that you've got your own pantheon you've got some political organizations this is all stuff that came up as you guys were playing this game and developing it, right? Uh, yes. Um, all but one of our nations existed how it existed in our campaigns today. One of the big things that we ran into, actually, um, we, had, we played a really big campaign recently that forced us to alter our recent timeline, which brought back one of the... We, we had a nation that was utterly annihilated at the end of the Darkest War. It was destroyed. Not so much, like, destroyed, but um, almost... Pretty much nobody lives there anymore because everybody was killed. So we had to... Essentially, somebody decided to that bringing back that nation was part of their character's plot, and then that essentially became the core of a campaign, and then two years later, it you know, reached its fruition and that kingdom is back. You'll notice that in the, if you go uh, through the history of the nations, that one of them has a large gap in history where it ceased to exist and then still does. 
but yeah, we we're going to be bringing a lot of stuff with the campaign setting, a bunch of organizations, things that you would like normally relate to, thieves guilds, guards, paladin groups, that kind of thing. But then there's going to be things that you are kind of out of place, but they have their causality behind them, so they do exist for a reason. Um, one of our big things, though, is going to be uh, most of our airships um, at the beginning of the campaign setting weren't really that important. They were just something that you know characters rode on. And then, of course, characters, players were like, hey, I want to design my own. And I'm like, now I have to come up with the rules for this. So let's sit down for, you know, three months and figure out how we want everything to work. And then it branched from there. So. So one of the things that you said I found kind of interesting and, and I want to get back to your Kickstarter video is that you were very beholden. Like you're basically the campaign setting that you were creating was dictated by something that happened at your table. And it it was almost like a reluctance, like, well, this is kind of like how it has to be because that's what happened in the game. And I find that very interesting because one of the things that you want to do with this Kickstarter is not only to create a campaign setting that other people can play and enjoy, but you kind of want to make it like a living campaign setting where the people that do play in it will have the ability to alter or change and, and sort of push the story forward. Uh, can you talk a little bit about like why you're wanting to do that and then also how that process will work? Well, all right, let's put it this way. If you're playing in my campaign setting and I have this, you know, sweet stuff and you run the sweet campaign and you tell me about it and then I never respond to you, how does that make you feel? Not very good. And you're not going to really want to play in the campaign setting anymore if you really can't alter things. Most We find that most, most of the campaigns that are ran in established universes tend to be one-shots or... You know, short campaigns or, you know, you're just introducing somebody or maybe you really love this one aspect and your group just, you know, they always want to be say wizards and there's no change in their minds. And that's great. But I feel like everybody should have a say in our overall hobby. We're all linked together by tabletop role playing and we all do it, you know, for a variety of reasons. But most of the time you have a story to tell. And you want to tell other people or else you wouldn't have be playing with anybody else. You'd be sitting at home, you know, writing. And going to Gen Con for multiple years has really opened my eyes to the amount of people that care enough to tell everybody else their character stories, whether, you know, it, it relates to the topic at hand or not. And there's really no reason, well, there, there are a large plethora of reasons why campaign settings can't do this. But if, we, if it's built from the ground up for community interaction, there's no reason why we can't keep that going forward forever. The world's going to change, and there's there's really nothing we can do about that. That's true for the real world and our our campaign setting, is that the timeline's going to progress, and your actions shouldn't matter. That's pretty much what it comes down to. How we plan to accomplish this is a, a variety of ways, really. Um, so we separated it into three points, like three sections of change. So you have your... Divergent points, which are large plot lines that affect most of the established universe that progress the timeline forward. So, to use a recent one, what would have happened if Germany won World War II? What would have happened if the U.S. decided not to bomb Hiroshima and Nagasaki? What would have happened if we lost the Battle of Midway? What would have happened if... A uh, certain Archduke wasn't killed before World War One? What would have happened if... You know, there's a lot of big things that have happened around very minor, well, sorry, not minor events, but, you know, local events that affected the entire world. And there's no reason why campaign settings can't have this going forward. So we kind of built this with 
all the nations have their own plots and NPCs have their own, you know, goals and whatever. And the community at large is going to be able to determine how those play out. If the community votes a uh, 99% that this country goes to war with this country, then that's what happens. And we'll write around that and go forward. And at the same time, the other, one of the other points that we're going to be doing is that your campaigns can become a permanent part of the setting. So, the decisions you make, the taverns you create, the NPCs you introduce, the new organizations that you make, that can all become part of the established universe. And there's no reason why it really can't, as long as it's well-written and, you know, isn't trolling anybody. <laughs> as long as you're willing to put the work in, which most DMs already do. Like you said earlier, you know, most people play on in their own homebrew settings because... It's just easier to make stuff up as you go. And there's no reason why Zodiac Empires can't fulfill that goal for you. So if you want to make, you know, this, oh, I don't know, this demi-lich that's going to take over half of the world, as long as the community thinks that's a great story and let's see how that plays out, that happens. And yeah, some of our dev team is going to be upset when things happen not the way they planned, but there's really nothing that we can do about that as as we hand this, I guess we're handing it over to the community at large. We've essentially created the universe. Now let's see what happens to it. And then there's going to be minor revisions as well. So you don't even have to be playing in the campaign setting if you want to add things. But they would be limited to minor things. Like if you wanted to create a minor NPC or a name a tavern and map it. Or you know maybe you notice that a city didn't get the love that the rest of the cities did. And you, you know just want to see it all mapped out that's totally plausible and there's no reason why we can't account for that so as long as everybody is in agreement the community at large and us obviously the world will evolve as it should now this is really really cool i have always enjoyed the concept of a living campaign world where players and GMs can not only make their own content, but have that content shared with other people in the community. But you guys are definitely on the track to make this happen. And I'm, I might be wrong here, but this is one of the first times I've seen something really come together so efficiently and completely. Uh, you guys, before the campaign setting is even in players' hands have already prepared yourselves to be accommodating and welcoming input from the people that make use of your created property. So that's really, really cool. And as both a GM and a player, that makes me really excited to dig into your story elements and see what I can come up with. So I got to ask here, because I'm very curious, how is this all going to work out? Is this basically going to be everyone posts their stuff on a forum and it's approved by upvotes and downvotes of who likes what? Does it come to you guys on the dev team and you pick your favorites and send it out to the community for approval? What's your plan here? What can players expect? Okay. Um, I got really lucky really, really early on. And I befriended a, essentially a development team. I work in IT normally, and it just so happens that people that I work with are also interested in making this become a reality. So 
we're creating something called Leyline Chronicles, which is going to be a web application and eventually a mobile application that handles all campaign tracking. And now don't shudder. I know what that means to you, and that means more homework, and that's never a good thing, except we're, we built it with that thought in mind. For instance, I used Obsidian Portal for a long period of time, and one of the big problems I have with Obsidian Portal is its homework. It's something you use after the game has already been ran. You write down a whole bunch of stuff, and you're sitting there typing it out, and somebody might not even read it, and you're not sure if anybody did. Leyline Chronicles is essentially going to keep track of all of your all of your notes, so everything, NPCs, players, characters, items, places, map interaction, the whole nine. And as long as you use it properly, it should be an easy thing to just integrate straight into the campaign. We have your timeline, we have what happens, we have who was involved, we have what changed, we have everything. So as long as your campaign makes it to the essentially community's choice, you know, it's just an easy slide in integration. And we put all your stuff into the wiki where it's supposed to go, and then you become part of the world. On the flip side of that, there that's more for minor additions and campaign additions. The, the big questions, the big plot lines, big stuff, unless we have a pre-established module or a really, really, really talented GM takes over that plot, plotline the community is going to decide how those how the large divergent points play out on the forums and through community voting for inner like for your minor campaigns and stuff um, we plan to have it so you can browse through like most viewed most notes uh, time playing how many sessions have they played pretty much anything to find the ones that you like and then you subscribe to them or you can you know upvote them as Reddit puts it, or however we plan on handling the community voting, and then whoever makes it to the top makes it in, as long as they don't get vetoed by the dev team. And there are only very minor things that would get vetoed by the dev team, and most of them are wildly inappropriate things in the campaign, which typically will just work with GMs to either remove or alter, but that probably won't ever happen, because we built this world to be a realistic game. So... There may be things that get brought up in Zodiac Empires that doesn't get brought up in most settings. But for the most part, it's just a matter of, you know, getting the community involved. Cool. So since my job here on the Academy is to sum things up, uh, what I'm gathering here is that the Leyline Chronicles is going to serve as both a campaign maintenance tool where you can keep and track and record all of your notes and maps and all that good stuff. Uh, That will also be a resource for people to go in, look at what other GMs are doing and move those up or down the rankings as people make use of them, comment on them and find them popular. And from that, you guys are going to say, Hey, this is the most popular thing that's going on. This is now reality. This has evolved naturally in the world. And so now it's part of the world. And on top of that, you're also going to have player and GM input on how the main important big events of the world shake out. And based on everyone's feelings about how one thing happens over another is going to define how the world moves forward. Am I wrapping that up pretty sufficiently? That is precisely what we mean to do. With one minor addition, one thing I didn't mention, for the major plot points, there will be 
the ability for the community to, let's say that Kingdom A and Kingdom B have tensions, and we have on our divergent points one of three options how this plays out. The community can come up with option four and override what we had written. That's that's what we don't want to do is have okay. So this plot either goes left or right, and that's how it goes. And we we already have everything pre-written for how this turns out. We don't want to have it. So you guys are essentially we don't want to lock anybody into a box because putting putting walls around you and limiting your choices never helps anybody in you know storytelling at all. So that's going to be one of the big things that we we will introduce as well. So one of the things I wanted to ask about that, because I may have missed that, is so how exactly do you gain access to be able to be a part of that? Is is there a certain reward level you have to pledge at? You know, I'm, I'm thinking two years from now, Zodiac Empires has been out in the wild for a couple years. I find a used copy of a book at Half Price Books and I start playing. Can I also influence the setting or is there a way you have to uh, get into that community? This is something that we were, we're really haven't figured out yet because we don't want there to be a paywall in order for you to interact because you could just be a player. I mean, you could be somebody's player and I don't want everybody at the table to have to buy you know the campaign setting. That just doesn't make any sense. But at the same time, allowing anybody to sign up and change things kind of means that you, there can be a lot of vote manipulation, which is something that we're, we are also accounting for because we have seen it multiple times. For right now, uh, everybody in the Kickstarter is going to have access to vote and all their players will have access to vote. So essentially, as long as, they're, as long as you're running a game with more than a few posts or your game has been going on for longer than, we'll say, like two weeks. And that you, all your players are signed up. So as long as you have an account on the site and that you're currently involved in a campaign, you can vote. This is essentially how we planned on handling it. But at the same time, there will be things that will be unique to individuals who have purchased the book. We, we plan on releasing full wiki content for everything. So I think that's one of the big problems you run into with a lot of established universes. It's really hard to find information. It's almost daunting. And Everybody has different, you know, levels of information about different things. And like you mentioned earlier, you don't want to play in established universes where your players have more information than you. It's unsettling at the table and it, you know, breaks the realism a little bit when you're trying to get everybody together. So full wiki content to anybody who has the book or has purchased a PDF. So as long as you purchase one of the two, you get full wiki content. So everything you can find is at your fingertips with either a search or clicking through some links. And for many nights left on long on Wikipedia, I know for a fact you can get lost in there very quickly. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I did want to move in to start talking about the Kickstarter uh, specifically and some of the levels, but I want to see if Caleb had any other more technical questions before we get to that part. No, I, I think we've covered a whole lot of stuff right now. I will tell you guys, please absolutely swing over to uh, both the Zodiac Empire's website and the Zodiac Empire's Kickstarter. There is so much more information and flavor there than we can really adequately share here over the internet airwaves. Gorgeous artwork, ton of information, and really cool bits and pieces and tidbits about this world. So swing over and check it out. And uh, definitely look at all the rewards there. So, Brad, why don't you tell us a little bit about 
what people can look forward to getting when they pledge to you guys? So from the basic level, anybody who pledges anything, so essentially our lowest reward tier, is going to have uh, Kickstarter forum access to a special section of our forums that will specifically be to Kickstarter backers. So you'll get the latest updates as we move forward, what our current like ideas are, and then we will have specific community voting before the campaign setting even releases that only people who back in the Kickstarter will have the option of choosing. So if we reach a certain stretch goal or maybe we want to release a entire module, that'll all be stuff you can vote on. You'll get a backers forum badge, so everybody always knows that you're the one who backed us and you're the one who got us here. You'll get a a desktop wallpaper. What I plan to do is actually have one of our artists create a series of six that only exist in the Kickstarter. Of course, because it's the internet, everybody will get one. But essentially, those will only be released if we're successful. Otherwise, back to the drawing board, I guess. If you pledge $5 or more at our Darkest War Survivor tier, you'll get your name in the book. The Intro to Zodiac Empire's PDF, it'll be 30 pages long, and it'll give you a essentially an introduction to the campaign setting as it were uh essentially to you know keep you occupied until we can get out the rest of the stuff um it'll be good to read on for a little bit and it'll get you a real feel of what the world is like and how it plans to evolve um and then the last thing we plan to give you with the five dollars is an i want to be your unicorn ticket this is one of those things that evolved in the campaign that somebody created a um like a theater group and for the entire run of this campaign, it was an inside joke that I want to be your unicorn is like the the up and coming, you know, show for them, but it never came to fruition inside the campaign setting, so we put it into the campaign setting because that's just how it works. That's essentially our thank you card to everybody who backed us. All of our names will be on it. It'll mo- it'll be assigned to you, whoever whatever name you plan on giving us, and it'll be mailed out as soon as the uh Kickstarter is successful. At $15 or more, you'll get one of these current six posters uh, that are up. Uh, these are Propaganda Travel and the promotion poster for I Want to Be a Unicorn. Um, these are things that you would find on the walls in cities, um, things to you know, remind people that this is where they live and this is the problems that they're dealing with. Some of these are recruitment posters for like our, our global police force, the airship guard, the VAT Sentinels. Some of them tell you to keep out, keep watch for Noir, which is a holdover from the Darkest War. You know, stuff like that. And then the cool thing at um, the $15 or more is you will get a Kickstarter edition Zodiac Empire's D6. If you were at Gen Con this year, you might have gotten one from us. But otherwise, there's no other way you would have gotten them unless you're in the core dev team. Um, they will only be given out during this Kickstarter, and that is it. Otherwise, they will never leave the dice box that they currently reside in. At $30 or more at the Outlaw level, you get an additional poster and the beginning of the first module, the Eye of Kings. It specifically deals with a latent evil in the Oception Desert that is coming to rise and their cultists that are around it. Um, it's essentially an introduction to Zodiac Empires. You'll deal with a lot of the things that you know make the setting what it is, a lot of the themes, that kind of thing. At $45 or more, you will get the 100-page Player's Guide which contains all the information a player needs about the campaign setting to play a character in the campaign setting. I think one of the biggest problems that a lot of pre-campaign settings have is that either the player's guide gets released 
six months later, or a player has to read the campaign setting to get an idea for what kind of characters he could play. And I know from previous experience that some players don't like to read and that's just how it is. So they'll have you tell grand stories for a few hours and they'll pick one and that's okay for them. But some, some people like to get, you know, really in depth into the setting and make a character that fits and that kind of thing. So we'll be giving those out as PDFs for all the players that play in the campaigns. Then the complete campaign PDF will also be released at $45 or more, which is the campaign setting in in, in and of itself. So it'll be 300 pages, all the information you need. Uh, you'll find all the travel posters in there. So if you want to, if you want to print them out and give them out as you know, player handouts, that kind of thing. We'll have the maps, we'll have races, everything will be in there, everything listed. Um, and then we got really, really lucky early on, and one of our core members. Um, Frank is actually musically inclined and he knows quite a few people who are very good at it. And he put together the soundtrack behind the first half of the Kickstarter video and he we plan to release a full soundtrack to really get you into the feel for the setting. Um, I know that a lot of GMs use them as, you know, background music and things to get people into the mood and, you know, that kind of thing. But this one's going to be specific to us. It'll it'll get you really into the time frame that the setting is built around, that kind of thing. At the $60 one, if at the Sentinel, you will get the softcover book, which will be the 300-page printed campaign setting for you. You will get the first 50 of them will be signed. We have less than half left. So I don't know when you guys plan on releasing this, but they may be gone by the time this is out. You also have the option of a physical CD. I know some people enjoy that. Some people don't. Some people are all about digital medium and, you know, the internet and streaming and stuff. But we will offer the physical CD at that time. It will also be signed by Frank and his team and everybody will help that music come together. And then you will get the very, very limited edition Kickstarter D20 from Zodiac Empire. So it will have our logo on the 20-sided side. It will be Kickstarter green. And this is the only time they will be made and released. We will only make as many of those as people back that level or higher, and that'll be it. And now keep in mind that all of these so far will give you everything that is also below them. So you will get the posters and everything else. At the $80 level, you'll get an additional poster and the second part to the Eye of Kings campaign, which will be... Um, it essentially follows up with the second half. Well, it's not really a half. It's a six-part thing. It'll be the Sands of Time module, which essentially just takes place shortly after the end of Eye of Kings and keeps that storyline going. I would like to mention at this point that the module series that is being introduced here through two backers is the beginning of the first major divergence point for the setting. And they'll be able to be played before the setting is even released because you'll have all the information you need if you've got the player's guide or anything else. That'll let people actually vote on how that progresses, which will change how the um, printed copy of the setting will look. At $100 or more, you'll get two additional posters, so five total, um, and you'll get the limited edition campaign setting. So essentially the cover will be entirely different. It'll be done in an art deco theme instead of the standard theme that's currently on there. It's, it's actually, the picture's not even up yet. They all will be signed, but there's only 50 of them. We are only printing 50 at all. So after those 50 are taken, that there will be no more of those ever again. <laughs> we will never reprint them. <laughs> um, <laughs> at the $175 or more, which two people have already taken, uh, 
up on, you'll get an additional poster, so you'll get all six. And your character and character artwork will appear in the book. Now, like I told the first person who signed up for this, and like I'll tell everybody else who wants to, there are only five of these. Well, there's only three left right now. Your artwork will be paid for through us. It'll be by one of our artists. Your placement and who your character is and what their background is is entirely up to you. We have very minor limitations. You can't be a god, you can't be a zodiac, and you can't be you know things that have already been decided. But you can do anything else you want. So I will work with you personally to determine what your character is and who they are and what they become. Um, I will also work with you with who, what organization they belong to, if they belong to any, you know, all the background stuff will be done between any of the backers who select that and myself personally, and nobody else will get involved. You'll have direct access to me, and that's something very few people get. And then at the $500 pledge, and this is kind of something that's only reserved to retail people. I mean, I guess you could take it if you really want 20 copies of the book, but most people don't. <laughs> You'll get five of every poster print for resale. They'll be set up, they'll be set up for resale. Um, you're, you'll appear in a very special place in the book itself. It'll essentially be a minor, minor ad for your store. Um, we have one of them who are currently interested. You'll also get a forum access and a, and a badge as well. And if this works out and you're in my general area, I will actually come and run the modules at your store if you choose to. That's all of our backer levels for now. The only other thing that we have to add on to that is we do have an add-on section, which you can grab any of the posters that are currently up there if you just want you know, one or two. You can buy as many D6 as you feel like buying, and you can purchase additional books if you would like them. So if you know, if you and another GM want to get in on it, but you don't want to shell out all of it, you can just buy one extra copy of the book. I did want to comment that just looking at the amount, it seems a little higher than some of the other uh, campaigns that I've seen. I'm guessing that a lot of that money is going to art because it looks like there's a ton of gorgeous art in this book. Is that accurate? That is absolutely accurate. Actually, what had happened was is that we had we were going to split it between art and the book, but the book a little bit more to handle the initial printing. But we got really lucky, and I talked to David Noonan at Gen Con, and he hooked me up with his printer, which is actually going to be a little bit cheaper. So if we hit our goal, you'll actually see extra art that wasn't going to be in here in the book. We were actually originally only going to release three uh, desktop wallpapers for the first backers. But we're going to allow up to six now, as long as we can hit our goal. All right. Very cool. Yeah. When I saw that number, that was my first thought. I was like, man, that's that's kind of high. And then as I kept reading, I'm like, oh, no wonder. Shit, this book's full of art. And the art, it's gorgeous. I don't know, again, where you guys got the artists, if they're in your group or not. But they are very talented. I love the art. We got really lucky, actually. Uh, Reddit helped me out a whole lot with the initial just you know finding talent. We went through a lot of artists, as most people do. You know, got a lot of proofs from a lot of people that just, eh, you don't really fit the theme of what we're going for. And then we we ran into Helen. Essentially, we hired her to do the initial uh, holy symbol art, which I think you can only see one of them right now, and that's Ural's, and it's up on our art gallery. There are 17 total holy symbols and we had her do them in an art deco style art nouveau kind of style because that's the kind of time period we wanted to emulate and a lot of the artwork in the book will emulate that kind of thing um and then going forward uh we ran into 
uh, Robert Ramanecki, who's he's from Poland. I also I found him indirectly through Reddit. Somebody else hosted his DeviantArt, and it wasn't him. And then we just he we just started working together. So a lot of his a lot of the uh, landscapes and stuff you'll see, like the uh, the one of the two dragon statues uh, around the essentially the uh, gateway. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's him. Uh, the picture of Yorgrad above that is him as well, and as well as the uh, default image for the Kickstarter is him. He does. He did a lot of our uh, our locations pictures. A lot of the, the hey, this is what this looks like. The first thing we had him work on was actually the concept art for airships, which you can also see in our art gallery. It's the, I think it's the second to last one up there. So we got really really lucky with him because I had only originally contacted him for like three pieces of art, and then. When he asked me if I needed anything else, there was no way I could say no. He's top-notch. And then uh, we hired Tia Jasmine and John Poe to handle all the posters. There are a lot more than that, and I, you will most likely get access to most of them at the end of this, depending on how well we do. Essentially, if we, hit, if we end up hitting our, I think it's our second stretch goal, the one that prints the soft players, soft back players guide. We actually plan to release all the posters that they have and allow you to choose from any of them. So this is only six of about fifty. And then we we kind of got lucky really really late in our planning stages that I think it was Joe I want to say was like you know we should really run a comic that that kind of like showcases the various races and the various situations people can get into in Bathus and really, you know, understand how the world sh- should be viewed. And I ran into Patrick. He replied to a totally different post of mine, and I happened to click through his portfolio, and he he's our comic artist, and he's phenomenal. And then Rocky Shen uh, did all of our... You will only see him in a small section of the book because he ended up going back to school, but he handled all of the mood pieces for all the kingdoms. So all of his pieces will be at the top of every single one of the kingdoms. That is very, very cool. And I, again, when I just started looking at the pictures, I could tell that you guys uh, didn't spare any expense on the art. Uh, it's gorgeous. So it uh, looks like money well spent in my mind. Uh, Caleb, I think you had something you want to jump in there? Well, what I wanted to go on here is really just basing off what you were saying there, Brad. You guys pulled together some amazing artists. And what you've been able to create here is a way to give players and GMs a lot of insight into the true environment and reality of this game setting. And given the fact that you guys are trying to make this a living campaign where players can input their own information and see it have a real impact on the world, this is absolutely the right step. You're giving people so much fuel for the creative fire. The fact that you're putting together a soundtrack is amazing. Uh, We've talked many times on our show, on our Table Topics episodes, about how to create atmosphere at the game table. And a lot of times we've talked about creating atmosphere for a horror game or a sci-fi game. And our friends over at BattleBards have certainly helped us a lot with that. But the fact that you have put together a specific soundtrack for your campaign setting really means that you are just handing players and GMs a key to your world. Hey, welcome in. Here's what things sound like. Here's the music. Here's the atmosphere and the mood. 
I'm really impressed with that. That is a really awesome thing to do. You can't skip on that stuff. You you can't. And at the end of the day, if nobody really understands what you're going for or nobody really gets the feel of your world, nobody's interested. And it's it's hard enough to get your own players to pay attention, let alone, you know, an endless series of groups. So we're trying to give DMs, GMs, and players everything that they need to just sit down and just immerse themselves, to just feel like they're a part of the world. And that's how we want you to feel. We don't want you to feel alienated from the rest of the world. And, you know, maybe you don't understand how everything works or, you know, you got this really specific question that you, you know, you just don't understand how something is the way it is. We're going to be around. We're going to give you the soundtrack. We're going to give you posters to hand out. We're going to give you pretty much everything that you need. And it doesn't stop here. As long as this Kickstarter is successful, there's no reason you won't see more art from us. There's no reason why maybe one day we'll roll out the ability for the community at large to input their own artwork and have that become part of whatever it is they feel like creating. Cool. So you guys definitely have a bigger vision for how Zodiac Empires is going to continue after the Kickstarter has concluded. That's awesome to hear. I think a lot of backers get curious about what creative teams are going to do. So I'm glad to hear that you guys have uh, some dreams you want to fulfill. A little bit of a tangent. I absolutely love the propaganda posters. Those propaganda recruitment style, really Art Nouveau things, I love those just on my own, regardless of the fact that they're part of your campaign, which I also love. So those are really, really cool. They really do remind me of of stuff like uh, Dishonored, which is one of my favorite games, even though I didn't like the ending that much. I did have one quick question to wrap up with here. Uh, You mentioned that the campaign itself is going to exist in both Pathfinder and D&D 5e rules. When backers get the player's guide and the campaign PDF and all that stuff, will that include both rules or do they have to pick one or the other? Include both. We took a leaf out of Fool's book and did the same thing that they did. Essentially, at the back of the campaign setting, there will be a Pathfinder rule section and a uh, 5e rule section. And then any time that the rules are referenced in the setting itself, whether it's racial stats or how Eldria interacts with humans, it'll just point you to the specific page that you need to go look it up. Um, It'll also help because once it's on the wiki, you can just click a button and it's there. Cool. That's a real great, easy setup. So you're not bogging down the flavor text and the campaign information with three pages of the different rules. You're throwing that all in the back like an appendix and just saying, hey, whichever one you need, go check it out. That's a a very smart way of doing it. Absolutely. Um, Because one of the big problems is like, nobody, not everybody plays the same rule sets. And we learned that at Gen Con firsthand is that you'll sit down, you'll play Legend of the Five Rings, And it works entirely differently than anything you've ever played before. And there's a lot of things you can play with. We might, this is still up in the air depending on how well the Kickstarter performs, um, we might actually throw in a third rule set, but we're on the fence about which one we would like it to be. So if this campaign, if this Kickstarter campaign ends up being successful, it's actually going to be one of the first questions that we ask is if there was another rule set in here, which one would you like it to be? Savage Worlds. That's actually Joe's uh, first suggestion when this was brought up. <laughs> I knew you were going to say that, Michael. 
Uh, fade's too easy. You could do it by on yourself on the fly, but uh, Savage Worlds has got enough crunch. I think it makes sense. Very cool, Brad. Thank you for sharing all this information with us. I can speak for Michael and myself. We are both very excited about this campaign setting. I think it's really unique. Let's be honest. Uh, in the world of crowdfunding, there are a ton of campaign settings and modules out there. What the guys at Zodiac Empires are doing is very unique and it is very well established and prepared. This is not something that some guy thought of over the weekend and just threw it on Kickstarter for the hell of it. You heard what Brad said. These guys have been playing this campaign setting for years. It is a well put together. It's well established. It is ready for you to dive into and add uh, your own flair and flavor to. Now, I would be probably hurt very badly if I did not bring up the fact that a catacon is right around the corner. And uh, I do believe these uh, these Zodiac Empire fellas are going to be down there with us, right? Absolutely. Once we were introduced to the idea and once the sponsorship idea came up, uh, absolutely. Uh, Joe loves running modules for people. He he does it constantly. We played Eye of the Kings maybe 15 times now just to like get everything down. And he always loves extra input. I love running games too, but I'm usually the one answering questions. So, <laughs> but yes, we'll definitely be there. Um, if not all of the dev team, you'll at least have me, Rachel and Joe. Frank might not be able to make it. Cool. Cool. Very appreciative of your support of our Kickstarter. Uh, we wish you nothing but the best and most success with yours. It, I mean, again, as Caleb said, it's very polished. It's very professional. I really hope that you guys are able to to make this happen, and hopefully our show will help uh, in some little way, uh, helping spread the word, because it sounds like you put together a product that, that needs to be out and about, uh, and Kickstarter is kind of the way to do that. Is there anything we didn't ask or didn't get a chance that you want to make sure that our listeners hear about? Uh, something that's just really important that if they're going to go check out that they should probably know. Actually, yes. I mentioned the comic, but I didn't mention that it, it's planned to be a long-running thing. It's not It's not something we plan to just roll out 50 strips of and then never touch it again. This is something that we have at least 15 characters and plot lines already established for the beginning one is the introduction to Noir, which is one of our new races that a lot of detail went into them. They're, I would say they're our iconic race. Her learning experience is useful to introduce people to the campaign setting itself. But that will update every Sunday. And that's on your main website, ZodiacEmpires.com? Uh, yes. Uh, you will also be able to find it at StarCall.com. It'll automatically redirect. All right. And uh, uh, there will be obviously be links in all of our show notes. But if anybody wants to go to the Kickstarter and check it out, I did find this out. You need to search Zodiac Empires one word. If you put a, a space in there, unfortunately, it doesn't find you for some reason. I think that's odd. And I hope Kickstarter can fix that. But yeah, you need to put Zodiac Empires all the way across to find you guys. Uh, what are some other ways they can find you? Do you have a Facebook page, Twitter, anything that you'd want to mention here? Uh, yes, uh, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, they're all the same thing. It's the URL slash Zodiac Empires, all one word. You can also find us on our website, of course, and I guess we're here now. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Well, Brad, uh, again, for myself and for Caleb, thank you so much for your time tonight. And uh, like I said, we'll try to get this episode turned around as quickly as possible to help uh, spread the word about 
about your awesome Kickstarter. So thank you so much for your time. And uh, I'll say for Caleb and myself, we'll see you soon. Thanks for listening to the RPG Academy podcast, the flagship program of the RPG Academy Network. If you enjoy what we do here, then please check out therpgacademy.com and visit our site partners for additional entertainment and gaming advice. We do this out of love for the hobby and for you, our fans. The podcast and site content will always be free for you to enjoy and utilize. But we do have expenses related to the show. If you'd like to help out in any way, please visit patreon.com slash Academy and check out the rewards we are providing for your monthly pledges. We use all funds that come in to improve the show and give you better content and quality. And if you don't have the coin to spend, don't worry. You can still help us out in many ways. You can subscribe to our show on iTunes and or Stitcher Radio. You can leave us a five-star review. Also, if you clear your cookies and you visit Amazon or the DriveThruRPG site through our portal, we get a small percentage of what you pay, and it doesn't cost you anything extra. Just like any RPG, our site works best with open lines of communication. We love talking with our listeners about everything. Please contact us with any questions, concerns, and comments that you have. We also love to hear feedback and experiences from your own games. You can email us via podcast at therpgacademy.com and reach us on social media, such as Facebook and Google Plus at The RPG Academy. But Twitter is usually the fastest way to reach us. You can find my favorite co-host, The Caleb G, at The Caleb G. And you can find my favorite co-host, Michael, at The RPG Academy. Thanks for listening. And as always, if you're having fun, you're doing it right.